going to have a time of prayer now before we come to this evening's reading. Uh, in our prayers this evening, in addition to praying for members of our fellowship and our activities this coming week, we'll also pray for our country and for the general election this Thursday. We come to God this evening in a time of Advent. Mary's Magnificat ringing in our ears and the reminder of God's power and provision in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we celebrate this time of year and how as maker of heaven and creator of the earth and of the universe, you picked a time 2,000 or so years ago to come down to earth in the flesh, in Jesus. We marvel, Lord, at your infinity and intimacy of your supreme love and your all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sustaining nature. You are so worthy of our praise and we are nothing without you. Forgive us, Lord, where we have forgotten you and not lived up to your calling in our lives. When we have been selfish in response to your selflessness shown to us in Jesus. When we have clung to power and you have shown us your overwhelming power, even in the vulnerability of a newborn baby. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done for us and how completely we can put our trust in you. And Lord, as we bring ourselves and the gifts that we bring in different ways before you. We bring these to you, Lord, as tokens of our love for you, in thankfulness for how you have provided for us on a daily basis. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with our activities this week, in our Christmas parties for adventurers, for impact and rarer, and toy box. May you speak through those times to those attending, so that even in the familiarity of Christmas, those things can dissolve away and you can touch hearts afresh and be born in them as your word is read or a carol's phrasing strikes home as it is sung. We pray for our nation this Thursday as we pray for ourselves, for wisdom and guidance as we choose for respect and tolerance in debates with others with different viewpoints and opinions. We pray, Lord, for those standing to be an MP in Parliament, that you would work through them for those elected, for your glory and for your will, not ours, to be done. Have mercy on us, Lord, and may we be responsible in voting and in supporting those chosen in the outcomes around the country this week. We know that you watch over us. May we learn from you and find in you power for living and rest for our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And our reading this evening is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter... 11 verses 25 to 30 and
And this section is entitled, The Father Revealed in the Son. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thanks, Martin. Let's keep that open, shall we? And let's pray for God's help. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Father, we thank you that you are a God of revelation, that you've revealed yourself fully in your Son, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to your word now, please help us to see in your word and in your son the things that you want us to see. Lord, that we might respond rightly to that wonderful invitation that you issue to us. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this evening we're going to learn two things uh, about God from this passage. Firstly, God is a God of revelation. And secondly, God is a God of invitation and the invitation before us in verse 28 is timeless in its relevance you see despite the advances of modern society despite all our technological advances despite all our progress in medicine and in business despite our growing understanding of of people and how we function together we live in a world under increasing pressure you maybe heard the phrase the burnout generation before Or without doubt, it's a phrase that applies to our own generation today. Worrying statistics about increasing mental health issues, increasing numbers of those going through midlife crises, increasing family breakdown, increasing suicide rates, and the list goes on. We live in a world that is groaning under the weight of sin. And in fact, we are a people who are groaning under the weight of sin. As one author said, there remains within the soul of man a deep and often painful awareness that he is restless and somehow unfulfilled. It's a restlessness that expresses itself in in different ways, in different generations, but it's always there. Yet so is the call of Christ, a call that echoes down the corridors of time, a glorious invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is the most glorious invitation. Rest for the body, weary bodies, rest for the mind, and maybe most significantly, rest for the soul. But before we come to the invitation, we need to ponder God's revelation 
Because you see, how we respond to the invitation will in a large part be down to how well we know the one who has issued the invitation. How well do you know Christ? And that's why God's revelation comes before his invitation. Have a look down at verse 25 and 27. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And again, in verse 27, no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Here we see God's revelation from two perspectives. The father reveals the son in verse 25 and the son reveals the father in verse 27. Have a look again at verse 25. And as you do, notice that what we have before us is actually a prayer. Jesus is talking to his father. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, father, Lord of heaven and earth. And why does Jesus praise his father? Well, the answer is there in the second half of verse 25, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. To some, the significance of these things is hidden. To others, the significance has been revealed. And so the question before us this evening that we must ask ourselves, I think, is this, what are these things? What are these things that the Father has hidden from some and revealed to others? Well, in the context of Matthew chapter 11, these things refer to the powerful deeds and works of Jesus Christ. Do you remember back in Matthew 11 verse 2? Where we find John the Baptist in prison and he's heard all about what Jesus is doing and these, the news of all that Christ is doing in this world has filtered back to John's prison cell. Yet he can't relate these things that he hears about to his own life and what's happening. And so he sends these messengers to Jesus with a question in verse 3. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else in short are you the messiah that's john's question for jesus are you the messiah jesus replies verse four go back and report to john what you hear and see the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor why didn't jesus just say yes i'm the messiah Maybe it would have been a bit simpler, would it not? Well, the reason I think he doesn't do that is because he wants John and he wants others to believe on the basis of these outrageous acts and works and deeds that the Lord Jesus is doing. You see, the miracles that Jesus is performing aren't just miracles of mercy. That they are wonderfully, but they are more than that. They are clear and concrete signs that God himself has arrived in this world and he is establishing his kingdom. They are signs that point quite clearly to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And the only right response to him, to Jesus as the Christ, is that of repentance and faith. But sadly, as we saw last week, many of those who Witness those things, failed to repent. 
Do you remember Jesus' words of condemnation, verse 20 and 21? Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of those miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. These things refer to the mighty works of a mighty Christ. And I guess the question for us is this. Why do some people see these things and repent, while other people see these same miracles and fail to do so? Well, the answer's there in the second half of verse 25. Because, Father, says Jesus, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. In his infinite wisdom, God the Father has hidden these things from the wise and learned. Which I realize is pretty hard to hear, maybe on our ears this evening. But please understand that God isn't discriminating here against those who are academically bright the wise and learned is a reference to the, to the well-educated, well-trained leaders of Jewish society, those who should have known better, those who knew their scriptures, those who knew all about the signs that accompanied the coming of the Christ, but they refused to believe. They were too proud to accept this humble carpenter from Nazareth as their king. And as C.S. Lewis reminds us in Mere Christianity... As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see that which is above. Pride prevents people from seeing God. And so the Father in his infinite wisdom has hidden these things from the proud and instead he has revealed them to little children. Which again doesn't discriminate against, discriminate against the old. Jesus is speaking here of those who have a humble heart, those who've been humbled by the mighty hand of God. And look how the prayer finishes in verse 26. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do some prayer isn't it especially given the context of judgment that we saw last week but it's in that context that this prayer is prayed look how verse 25 begins at that time in the context of the judgment that jesus has just announced he praises his father in heaven why is jesus so full of praise at a time such as this Answer, because God is a God of revelation. You see, God does not have to reveal himself at all. He's under no obligation. We've got no rights. We don't deserve to see Jesus. We don't deserve to know Jesus. We don't deserve to benefit from the works of Jesus. Yet we are grateful recipients of his unmerited favor and kindness and grace. You see, God doesn't have to reveal himself at all, but in his kindness he does. And so with the Lord Jesus, if you're a Christian here this evening, you should be praising your father with all of your heart every single day. 
for revealing his son to you. That he would reveal himself to me. And that he would reveal himself to you. Firstly, the father reveals the son. And secondly, the son reveals the father. Verse 27. All these things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Now, knowledge here isn't just intellectual, it's intimate. It's not just that the Son knows certain things about the Father, the Son knows the Father. This is relational, he knows him in the most personal, intimate and special way, and wonderfully has made these things known to us, that we too might embrace him as our Father in heaven. Now, I imagine most of you at some point have played the little game peekaboo with a little baby or a child when you, you put your hands in front of your face and you come up nice and close and you go peekaboo and you pull your hands apart and you see the little baby or the child. When they see your face, there's something about the face of another human being when the, the hands are revealed and they just giggle away and you can do it for hours with a book, pop up behind the sofa, peekaboo, and they just keep going because they love to see the face of another human being. Well, that's something what's happening here spiritually. God has taken his hands away. So we can see his face. We can see the face of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see the same thing, don't we, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light is the light of understanding. It is the light of revelation. It is the light that helps us see. We do not pull the hands of God apart. He wonderfully does that we might see his son. And in his son, we might see the fullness of the glory of God. We do not find God. He finds us. Do you notice that in verse 27? No one knows the father except the son. No one. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is in charge of who knows the father. It's a truth that is as controversial as it is clear. Without Jesus and his revelatory work, no one can know God. Full stop. That's grace. It's all God. All God. Not me. Not mostly God. And a bit of me. It's all God. That's grace. For it's by grace you have been saved. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Grace leaves zero ground for boasting because God makes every single contribution to our salvation. Not most of it, and I'll make the final part, it's all God. It is so wonderfully humbling, is it not? You did not choose Jesus if you're a Christian here this evening. He chose you first. Pull back the eyes so you could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is a truth that exalts God and his grace. And it is a truth that humbles people. 
And that is a wonderful thing. And it's a truth that should fill our hearts with deep wells of gratitude this evening. The Father reveals the Son, and the Son reveals the Father, and all the praise goes to Him. And so this week, if you find yourself being drawn into moments of pride and arrogance, then maybe just return back to verse 27. Because there are Not many verses in Scripture that humble us like the one before us in verse 27. And if you catch yourself grumbling this week, small things, big things, you're lacking gratitude towards God, then come back to verse 27 and remember all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, that you might see him and then you might reach out and take hold of him and savor him forever in your hearts. Firstly, God is a God of revelation. And secondly, God is a God of invitation. Have a look down verse 28. It's a verse that'll no doubt be familiar to many. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, says Jesus. And I take it he's including all of us there because we're all weary and burdened in life without Christ. Of course, there's many factors that make us weary in this world, but I think the Lord Jesus is speaking here of a very specific burden. Flick forward, if you would, to Matthew chapter 23. You'll see verse 4 actually up there on the screen where we read about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this is what we read. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, And put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. If you want one verse in the Bible that explains what religion does, then there it is. It weighs people down with heavy loads. With endless rules that people are unable to keep and it ends up crushing them into the ground. Jesus came to liberate us from that burden. He came to fulfill God's law in perfect righteousness and to take upon himself, his own shoulders, the full weight and burden of sin as he bore it before Almighty God in our place on the cross so that we not need not carry our sin before him. You may recall this picture from Pilgrim's Progress when Christian on his travel stands before the cross and the burden falls off his back. Irene smiling, they've done it with contacts. Rolls down the hill, where does it end up, Irene? In the grave at the bottom, isn't it? Never to resurface again. Dead and buried, done away with forever. Well, that can only happen when you stand before the cross of Jesus Christ and say, yes, please. Yes to Jesus. For Christ died for sins. Once for all time. The righteous Jesus in the place of unrighteous me. And he did it to bring us to God. And it's there in God's presence that we find rest for our souls. You see, you'll never find rest anywhere else. In a new job or a new partner 
or a new gadget, the latest thing that comes out, these things won't give you rest. We find rest only in the person of Jesus Christ. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. That doesn't mean that as Christians we are free from any sense of obligation, free to do whatever we want, free to live how we please. You can see that back in verse 29. Look what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we follow Jesus, we're not yoke free. You can see that there. Take my yoke upon you. But of course, the yoke of Jesus Christ is very different to the yoke of religion. Think of the little ladies from Holland carrying their, their pails of milk. And the yoke, of course, is that little wooden bar that they rest on their shoulders. And the whole purpose of a yoke is actually to make carrying things easier. It's to spread out the load, to spread out the weight. But here's the thing. The yoke that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law placed on God's people was unbearable. And it was crushing them into the ground. It was too much to bear. And so Jesus says... To all those who are listening, lay aside the crushing yoke of religion. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As J.C. Ryle says in his commentary, Jesus's yoke is no more a burden than feathers are to a bird. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Jesus's yoke is no more a burden than feathers are to a bird. Feathers add a little bit of weight to the bird, don't they? Are they a burden? You ever heard a bird complaining about his feathers? It's the feathers that give it lift. It's the feathers that help a bird do what God has designed it to do to make it fly. And so it is with Jesus. When we come to him, when we take his yoke upon ourselves, it doesn't crush us into the ground. It helps us fly. It helps us be the men and women of God that Jesus wants us to be. You see, the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, your guilt is no more. That sack of sin is gone. Down the hill, into the grave, forgiven, fully, finally, finished, done. And in that very same moment... The spirit of the living God comes to dwell in your heart, within your inner being, and give you all the power of heaven to fight sin and to live Jesus' way, to live with Jesus as your Lord. And what sort of Lord do we live for? Verse 29, do you see the Lord we have? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And humble in heart. So gentle. So humble. That Jesus left the highest heaven. And walked in this world 2,000 years ago. And he walked all the way to the cross. Where he laid down his life for you. To bring us to a state of everlasting rest. As you know I was in Romania Last week, and we talked a little bit about the fall of communism and the crushing dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu. Well, Jesus is no crushing dictator. 
He's Lord. He's Master. But what sort of Lord is he? He's a kind and loving Savior. He is gentle and humble in heart. And it is he who stands before this world, this weary, broken, needy world, and issues the most timeless invitation to come to him. To come to Christ alone and to find rest for our weary souls. And so I guess the question for us this evening is, what are we going to do with Jesus? I don't know what burdens you're carrying this evening. I don't know what it is that's maybe weighing heavy on your heart. I don't know what it is that's sapping some of that joy that you once had knowing Jesus. I don't know those things. The Lord alone knows those things. But what I do know is the solution. Because it's there in verse 28. The solution is Jesus Christ. Come to him. Go to the Lord Jesus this evening with whatever baggage you have, maybe the first time in your life, to confess your sin to him and to know him as your Lord and Savior this evening. Or maybe you come to him afresh this evening with, with guilt that you're carrying for whatever reason or, or, or just the, the weariness of life which feels too much and to lay it at the feet of the Lord Jesus, to let him deal with it because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. We've got a wonderful saviour in Jesus Christ.